the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called Life in the Light of Eternity, discussing how we should live in the light of the fact that Christ Jesus is coming back and how we follow the ways of our Savior as we do life in the light of His return. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm going to read 13 to 16, and um, we're going to hear God's word read. And let's remember as we hear this, this is God's word. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the words of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, For you suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. This section of scripture that we just read is very brief, just four verses. And it contains three unique and distinct things. It first creates a fundamental and powerful truth in the first verse. And then it contains, frankly, a frightening calling or reality that faces those that trust in Jesus Christ. And last, it contains a section of scripture that I found pretty difficult to work out during the course of the week. And so I've been hoping and praying for clarity. And I hope that you'll continue to pray along with me for that throughout the course of the sermon. These four verses tell us the message that Paul preached when he came to the Thessalonians was the word of God and not the word of any human being. That's what's recorded for us in verse 13. Verse 14 continues on to tell us that coming to trust in Jesus brought with it persecution for the Thessalonian Christians as it had for every Christian that had trusted in Jesus up to this point in Paul's ministry. And... The passage ends by telling us that the gospel is opposed by people of all manner of different backgrounds, but that God always has the final word. And so these are the three parts of the text that we're going to be talking about in our time today. And the three parts of the text, I'm going to sum up in this way. First, we're going to be talking about God's word. That's the first part of the text. If we could bring that up, that'd be helpful. Second, we're going to be talking about how the the church 
suffers. The, the church's sufferings are the second part of the text, and the last part is God's wrath. That's what the passage close, closes with, is, is God's wrath. And so let's jump into each of those, starting with God's word. This is the first point made here in the text, in verse 13. Let me read it again for us. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when we received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the words of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. You see, this section of scripture that we're reading is still a part of the introduction that Paul is offering to the Thessalonian Christians. And you can tell that some of the themes that he offers at the very beginning of his introduction are recapitulated, are reused in this section of the text. You can see if your Bible is still open at the very beginning of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, that Paul begins this letter by writing to the Thessalonian Christians about how he is filled with gratitude for them. That's the way that verse 2 of chapter 1 starts. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He begins by talking about how he constantly gives thanks for the Thessalonian church. And in the passage that's in front of us right now, chapter 2, verse 13, we're told again that he is constantly offering up prayers of gratitude. But he gets a little bit more specific about what he thanks God for regularly for the Thessalonian Christians. Verse 13 of our text today, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Paul gives thanks constantly to God because they believe that the word of God is what it claims to be. He's giving thanks constantly. And if something makes you constantly thank God, it's clearly a big deal. It's of the utmost importance. So this is what makes Paul to be constantly filled with gratitude. First, that the Thessalonians heard him preach the word of God and accepted it for what it really is, the word of God, and it is now active within them. Let's walk through this text uh, with a a little bit more of a fine-tooth comb here. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, that's the way that the passage begins. That's the first clause in this text. He talks about the fact that the word of God is what was his message. And it's what, was, what, what he was preaching. And here we need to say something fundamental. The word of God needs to be preached. It needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be spoken. And it needs to be at the center of church life because of that. When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. Paul and Silas and Timothy proclaimed the word of God. They preached it. And because they preached it, the Thessalonians believed. Now, there is a temptation that exists within the church today to say that that the preaching of the Word of God might not belong at the center of the worship service, or maybe not at the center of each worship service. I remember really distinctly one experience that I had when I was interviewing at various churches that were considering me for their pastor. I'm so thankful that in God's providence, I ended up coming here. But in the interview process, I talked to a number of different churches, and one, I flew out for an interview, and the interview is embedded in my mind because at a certain point, it became a little bit adversarial. The head of the search team was a a very talented person, very gifted, and she was talking about some of her own experiences as as a a church goer throughout her life. And she talked about how a couple weeks before our interview, she said, I went to a church service, and she said, I thought it was just wonderful. 
He said, in the church service, they got rid of any singing, they got rid of a message, they got rid of anything like that. It was just a beautiful orchestral concert. She said, and talented people played their instruments, and she said, and being there, I got a sense of God. She said, I'd like to see our church move more in that direction. Less singing, less preaching, more times where there would be just concerts or things of that nature so we could get a sense of God in that way. And I I respectfully said, well, if that's what you're hoping for for your church, you are talking to the wrong person. That's not me, and that's not the sort of worship services that I would be excited to be a part of. I think that at the center of each service needs to be the proclamation of the word of God. It was for Paul. But this is something that we can easily fall into. To believe that the gospel preached, or to believe that the word of God that that offered up is not enough, or it's boring, or it doesn't give us a sense of God like something else can. But let me tell you here today that there ain't nothing more important than the Word of God, and there is nothing that should displace it, and there's nothing else that should be at the center of church life, and there's nothing that's more authoritative than the Word of God. We can't trust anything else, no human wisdom, no human means. We trust the Word of God, and because we trust it, just as Paul does, We believe it needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be preached each Sunday in this church. It needs to be proclaimed by the missionaries that we support as they go into the world, telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it needs to be spoken by us as we have opportunity that we should pray for. The word of God needs to be said. It needs to be spoken. It needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be preached. And when the word of God is preached and proclaimed, God does amazing things by it and through it. The power is God's word. The power is the Holy Spirit. The means is the preaching of the word of God. I remember talking to a woman in Italy. I was there with a program through Wheaton College. And she was our tour guide, me and the other students that had come from Wheaton College for a brief period of time to spend time in Rome. And she talked about how it was that she had come to faith in Jesus Christ. She told me that she had been, before coming to Jesus Christ, she said, an old-school, Mussolini-esque fascist. And she said that there were some Christian missionaries that came to Rome, where she lived, and they set up a tent, and they set up a place to preach from. And she said that she loved to make fun of them. She said, their message seemed to me so foolish that I would come and make fun of them. She said, I loved to tease them. I loved to mock them. She said, I wasn't cruel to them. I would have them to my house for dinner. I thought, they've come all this way to talk. I I might as well give them some food. And she said, but at the end of each time that the the missionaries would come together, at the end of each time they would preach, at the end of each time they would invite people to come up and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I would come up and I would mock them. Until, she said, until the final day, I went again, intending to make fun of these missionaries one last time. And I was sitting down and, and hearing the word of God preached. And at first I thought again, how foolish this is. She said, until a change happened in me. She said, I realized that what they were saying was right. That what they were saying was true. That I needed to believe the message I was hearing. That I needed to trust in Jesus. And she said, so at the very end, they they issued a call. They said, if you want to trust in Jesus, come on forward and we will pray with you. And we will talk to you about how it is that you can trust and follow after the Lord. And she said, and I got up. And she said, to this day, I don't know how it happened because I was trying not to. And she said, and then I started walking forward. And to this day, I don't know how it happened because I was trying not to. She said, I was trying to go sit back down in my seat. 
And she said, I made it all the way up to the front of the tent where the missionaries were standing. And they looked at me and they asked, did you come to make fun of us again? And she said, no, I've come to trust in Jesus. I've come to believe in him. She's like, it was the best day of my life. It was the day that transformed me. The day I heard that message preached, she said, and the day I believed. The word of God needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be preached. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Life in the Light of Eternity, discussing how we follow the ways of our Savior as we do life in the light of His return. And the, the second thing that becomes very clear in this verse is that the Word of God is the Word of God. That's very simply what the passage says. So verse 13 says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. A very basic truth here in the second part of this first verse. The Bible and the gospel message, as it's proclaimed, is the word of God. The Bible is what it claims to be. It's the word of God. The word of God, as the passage says, is the word of God. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is saving. And this is why our church services must be centered upon it. They cannot be centered on anything else. Anything else is mere human wisdom. But God's word is God's word. And when people who do not know the Lord hear the word of God, and when the Holy Spirit works, that person hears and is saved. And they're brought from death into life. They're brought from darkness into light. They're brought from bondage into freedom. And only the word of God can bring that. And the third thing that this first verse tells us is that the word of God must work. Verse 13 says, You accepted it from us not as the words of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Paul talked about how these Thessalonian Christians who trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ are marked, are characterized by the fact that the Word of God is at work within them. The Word of God is true, it is enough, it must be preached, and it is powerful. It works, it has great powers, it's working. And for each one of those Thessalonian Christians that had turned to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Word was at work within them, within their very selves, within their lives. And they were demonstrating the fact that they trusted in Jesus Christ because they were following His commands and keeping His ways and loving as He had called them to love. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were filled with the fruit of the Spirit. For all of those, all of those that trust the Word of God must be operative in their lives. And so Paul is filled with gratitude because the Thessalonians heard the message because they received it for what it really is, the word of God, and because they had it at work within them. And let me speak personally. Nothing would give me more joy than for the same things to be ever more clearly and distinctly operative in our own midst. For us to be more and more clearly marked by these things that Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For us to ever more clearly desire to hear the word of God and to hear it preached. And to hear it be at the center of who it is that we are and what it is that we do. 
for us to be a congregation that receives the word of God and acknowledges what it is, that this is beyond and above any human wisdom and therefore it needs to be the thing that establishes and determines my life. And for God's word to be active within your life, to be active within our lives, so that when we speak to each other, our, our speech is filled very often with God's word. So that when we live, it's clear that we're following after the commands of God so that they are a part of us, so that they fill us, so that they characterize us. If that happens, and if that's happening with ever greater measure in our midst, nothing would bring me more joy. And it brought Paul joy. He was filled with gratitude because the Thessalonian Christians believed and because they had received the gospel at great great cost. Because not only had they believed, they had believed in the midst of persecution. They had believed even though it meant that they would suffer. This is the second point for today. The church is suffering. Verse 14 and 15 talk about this. Paul talks about how they received the word of God, that it was at work within them. And then he says in verse 14, for you brothers became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and oppose all mankind. Here Paul again seems to repeat a theme that's found in the first chapter in the very beginning of his introduction. As he starts this letter in chapter 1 verse 6, he talks about how the Thessalonians received the word of God and then became imitators of God and imitators of the other churches that surrounded them. Here he says the same thing, but he makes things more specific. Not only did they imitate the churches in action, they imitated the churches in their suffering. Suffering was the way of things for the early church. And for those who came to know Jesus Christ as the church was being born and as it was growing, suffering was a regular part of their life. Eleven of the twelve apostles that were sent into the world by the Lord Jesus Christ died executed at the hand of the state because they were preaching a different Lord than Caesar. Persecution and death because of faithful obedience to Jesus Christ was so common in the life of the early church that one early church leader, a man named Tertullian, wrote a work in which he said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Suffering, even to the point of death, was so common in the early church that the church had to develop a robust theology of of suffering, of martyrdom, of death for the cause of Jesus Christ. Suffering was so common that at times there would be parties hosted by various Caesars wherein the party was lit by, by Christians who had been set on fire to light dinner parties for various Caesars at the time. And to the Thessalonians and to the early church members, The gospel was worth it. The gospel was worth suffering for. The gospel was worth dying for. But here's something true. This was a lived reality not only for those Christians that lived a long time ago. This is a lived reality today for many who live and trust in Jesus Christ. The 20th century had within it more martyrs than all of the rest of the centuries of the church combined. And right now, in many places in the world, it is a dangerous thing to profess that you believe in Jesus Christ. There are many places in the world where the proclamation of the gospel is illegal, and turning and trusting can sometimes be punished even by death. Christians say it today as well. The gospel, the word of God, is worth suffering for. It's worth dying for. You and I who are here today, we are blessed. We don't face death 
for being a Christian today in the United States. And yet, sometimes if you're like me, you still fear, you still fear backlash for being a Christian or for believing Christian things. And so you and I need to say the same thing as the persecuted church does today. You and I need to say the same thing that the Thessalonian church was willing to say thousands of years ago, that the gospel is worth suffering for, that the gospel is worth dying for, or that the gospel is worth losing friends for. The gospel is still worth losing your life for. It's worth being called a a fundamentalist for it, or it's worth being called a radical for it. It's worth being called a traitor to your country for it. It's worth being attacked on Instagram for it. It's worth being called all manner of bigoted things for it. It's worth being called a bigot for it. It's worth being called too weak or too soft or not manly enough or not cool enough. The gospel is worth suffering for. The word of God is worth persecution for. No matter how light or how severe, the message, the word of God is worth suffering for. And then there's a challenging part of the text. Verses 15 and 16, part of 14 as well. We're told, For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. This is a challenging part of the text because it talks about the fact that, that what the Thessalonian Christians are receiving at the hands of the pagan Gentiles is the same thing that the Judean church was experiencing at the hands of the Jews, that they're experiencing persecution, that they're experiencing being put to death or being put out of the city for this. And when some people read this section of scripture, they say, well, this sounds like a terribly anti-Semitic part of the text, because Paul's talking about the way that the Jews are, are treating some of the Christians. In fact, some commentators say this must be something that was added later, not by Paul, but added later to the text because they're like, it's just not kind to Jews. It's, it's anti-Semitic. And so let's take a look at the text here, and let me explain something at the very outset. Anti-Semitism is not something that's acceptable for any Christian. Hatred of any people group is not something that is acceptable for Christians. Dislike or or hatred of Jewish people is not acceptable for for any Christian. And let me say, too, that Christians have failed in this at various times. Even some leaders of the church that we look to with respect have acted in anti-Semitic ways. That's not acceptable. Martin Luther himself, at the end of his life, wrote a book that he entitled On the Jews and Their Lies, and it's filled with things that are not acceptable or appropriate for any Christian. It reminds us of what Alistair Begg says, the best of men are men at best. Anti-Semitism is not something that is acceptable for us as Christians, and it's not something that's ever advocated in the scriptures at all. And so let's take a look at what's being said here in 1 Thessalonians 2 with that in mind. You see, Paul had made it clear in the course of his own ministry that his own ministry was to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. He talks about that in the book of Romans very clearly and distinctly on a number of different occasions. To the point where in chapter 3 he says, well then are, are we Jews any better? And he has to say, no, we are both equal. Both Jews and Gentiles are alike, are equal before God. So he talks about his priority of his message to the Jews, and he talks about the equality of all people under God. And he talks about how salvation is going to come through trusting in Jesus Christ alone, not through an ethnic identity. And so here, what he's doing 
is he's equating what it is that these pagan Gentiles are doing with even what these faithful religious leaders had done, right? These religious leaders who viewed themselves as faithful in following the commands of the law and then nonetheless refused to believe the word of Jesus Christ. He said, these people that you would least expect to oppose Christ Jesus since they had received the promise, these Jewish leaders, they stood against him, they opposed him, they called for him to be crucified, and therefore they have received God's displeasure. And he said, and it's the same for any Gentile that opposes the gospel, that opposes the work of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here in the conclusion of this section of scripture is that God's wrath is upon all of those Jew or Gentile, pagan or religious in some other sort of way, any who oppose the message of the gospel, who oppose the work of Christ Jesus, that if you are opposing Jesus, if you're refusing to believe in him or trust in him, that the displeasure of the Lord is on such a person, that the wrath of God is on such a person. And so let me say something today that might sound very cruel. I don't intend it to be. If you oppose Jesus today, if you oppose him, if you oppose his ways, then I need to make the same theological point that Paul is making here. Then the Father is not pleased with you, and his wrath is upon you right now. But I want to give you a word of hope. All of us have to deal with the problem of the wrath of God. You see, he is very holy, and we are not. And so for anyone that is trusting in themselves or trusting in something other than the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, you have to deal with the problem that God is rightfully and righteously angry with you because of your sin. And God has provided the only way that this can be dealt with. He provided it through his son. God the Father gave his son to us. That's amazing. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.